Looks right, throws a deep pass, right side, end zone, hits off, it's a touchdown! And the Cardinals continue to pour it on. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by the Arizona Cardinals mobile app. Visit azcardinals.com slash app. Touchdown, Arizona! The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Great move to the right at the 50. Cuts back to the left at the 40. He's loose at the 30. He's at the 20. The 10. Touchdown, Cardinals! Rise up and make a play. And what a hit! Oh, my goodness! He got crushed. You've got to be kidding me. Come off the ball with malice. Here's Paul Calvisi. Well, there's only two ways, let's be honest, to describe the start of the Cardinals season. And and it's one descriptive phrase or the other. And who better to ask than Darren Urban and Kyle Odegaard, azcardinals.com, Cardinals Underground. I mean, Pauly Podcast, just the mere questioner, the interviewer in this case. Uh, Darren, yes. would you use extra or super extra from the Cliff Kingsbury lingo and verbiage to describe the Cardinals 2-0 start here in 2020? Extra or super extra? Uh I'm going to go with uh, extra right now, Paul, because we are only two games in. Uh, As Jordan Phillips said this week, granted it was about the defense, but I'm going overall, uh, don't crown us yet. And uh, we're paraphrasing. So, uh, you know, with all due respect to Denny Green, there's going to be no crowning at this point. And I don't think there should be crowning or any super extra of it. I guess I think that is a new podcast record. Twenty-seven point three seconds before the Danny Green rant was mentioned, any notion of crowning. So it's good. We kind of, it's kind of good we got it out of the way, Kyle, because sometimes it could be the elephant in the room. When is it going to get referenced? And now, boom, we can move on from here. Yeah, I think that's like three straight weeks we've we've said crowning at some point in the podcast. <laughs> that's right. You know, so so Kyle, I don't know what to make of this. If this qualifies as crowning or or tracking towards crowning i i really don't know but and i'll flash this to the screen and i'll describe it as well the football power index after two games the nfl season i saw this on espn's nfl live and they calculated the playoff percentage odds of the nfc west teams which by the way hello the nfc west a combined seven and one no other division has more than five total wins you talk about the nfc west where they have a positive point differential, every single team, no other division can claim that. So as a result, the Cardinals football power index playoff percentage odds after two games, Kyle, drum roll, please, 53.4%, if we can see that right there. What's interesting is I tweeted that out at Paul Calvici Ding, and there was a lot of umbrage taken by the Red Sea because the Seahawks at 2-0 and have 84.1% odds. The Rams have 80.1% odds. The Cardinals, a mere 53.4% chance of making the playoffs, even though they all the, the same 2-0 record, Kyle. Yeah, I think I agree with them. I think the gap is, is too big there. I do think the Cardinals have a better than a 53% chance of making the playoffs based on what we've seen. And the reason it's lower is because the ESPN FPI goes off of last year and the expected strength of this team. So they're saying this was a five-win team last year. Are they going to conceivably going to be able to jump that much? And like Darren said, it's only a two-game sample size, but this does come into with you guys, like with the eye test, where it's not always just about the numbers, and it is what you see on the field. So I agree that the Cardinals just look so much better this season. Their defense is clearly better, and, you know, they've had some hiccups in the early going and yet they're still two and zero. So I feel like 
at this point, it certainly seems like they're trending toward the playoffs. And you never know how a whole season's going to go. And you certainly don't know how injuries are going to affect you. But yeah, I mean, I, I agree with people. I think the Cardinals are certainly closer to the caliber of the Seahawks and the Rams right now than they are of a, a team that's maybe trying to get into the playoffs that's lower on that list. Maybe the difference is only because uh, those two teams still get to play Washington and the Cardinals already have wiped that off, that win off the schedule. So that's a that's a gimme win, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, well, you want to gimme win. Uh, it's hard not to look at the next three weeks, correct? <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll get well, to that. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to say gimme again. We're we're not crowning anybody yet, Paul. <laughs> I, I felt mean, a lot better about the Washington game and and winning that one than this week. Anytime you have a good quarterback. That, that scares me a little bit. You never know what, what a Matthew Stafford or somebody like that can do. I mean, Dwayne Haskins might be a good quarterback at some point in his career, but he, he's clearly not there yet. And when, when a team has a passing game, it has a chance. And I know Detroit has some problems, but, yeah, I wouldn't count them out this week. Okay, but if there are two aspects to every NFL game, do you have a quarterback and can you get to the quarterback? Look at the Lions. They cannot get to the quarterback. They have two sacks this year. And if Kyler just did that, with the arm and the legs against the Niners defensive front, which was mostly healthy, and then Washington, and you look at this depleted and talent-poor Detroit defensive front. I mean, Darren, um, I'm not sure what's more significant, the fact they have Matthew Stafford. I'm with Kyle on that. I have a lot of respect for Stafford. He's had some good games because seemingly the Cardinals play the Lions every single year, so we know him very well, almost like a division foe. But if you aren't getting any significant pass rush on Kyler Murray, hello, right? Yeah, well, that's what I would think. I mean, not only do, they, do the Lions have Stafford, but they're getting Kenny Galladay back, who's a really good and underrated receiver. Uh, so the Cardinals will have their hands full on that. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, ultimately what we've seen around the league and, and what is a little bit encouraging from what we've seen from the Cardinals, at least being able to hold up defensively. And we've said this all offseason, the way the Cardinals are set up, if they play the way they're capable offensively, their defense only has to be about middle of the road. And, and right now they're a little bit better than middle of the road, especially in some certain categories. And, and that's a big deal because when you look at a Lions team that doesn't have a great defense and you look at where this Cardinals offense is, uh, you know, getting 400 yards a game and averaging 27 points a game through two games. And quite frankly, not really looking all that awesome most of the time or half of the time. I mean, obviously they've had flashes and Kyler Murray running around has definitely caught the eye, but there's absolutely been lots of times in both games where you're kind of like offense. Where are you? Well, and listen to Kyler after the game, Kyler's words were, we left a lot out there. We've only scratched the surface. I mean, where is this all going, Kyle? What is this going to look like a month from now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the points per game and the total yards right now are a little bit misleading for a couple of reasons. The first one being that three of their six touchdown drives started in opponent's territory. And then also the Cardinals no huddle a lot. They play faster than almost everybody else. So they're going to run more plays. So even if they're not incredibly efficient, they're going to rack up a lot of total yards just because they're doing more. So I think the rate stats are more important than the counting stats when you look at the Cardinals offense. And, and right now they're below average in efficiency, which is a surprise. I thought they'd, you know, be a really good offensive team. And granted, they've played two good defenses. So like Paul said, like this is a much easier matchup and they could very much take off in this game. But I do feel like the passing game needs to get going more. You can't just rely on 
Kyler Murray, you know, running for 50, 60, 70, 80 yards a game. I mean, that, that will happen a lot and that's nice, but you need to have a consistent running game with your running backs. You need to throw better than 6.6 yards per attempt. So once the Cardinals take that jump offensively, then I feel like we can seriously talk about them being, you know, one of these top teams in the NFC. It's interesting too. Cliff Kingsbury did not hesitate to answer the question as to whether those were assigned runs, designed runs, or organic touchdown runs. And he said, no, those were called. And, and I just, there's so many things you could point to and really wonder how much of this is Cliff Kingsbury putting stuff on film in the first two, three, maybe four weeks of the season, including going forward on fourth and one from your own 27 and checking in the struggler package, which we'll also get to in a little bit. But to that end, I think there is a method to the madness, Darren. I think the head coach is letting it be known that there are a whole array of aspects of this offense you're going to have to deal with and prepare for and allocate practice time during a game week. He's trying to make it as challenging as possible for opposing defenses. And from what I can tell, it's working. Well, I'm not going to disagree that that would be a nice byproduct to this, but let's make no mistake. And, and it was a lot different this week than the first week. I mean, clearly most of the Kyler runs uh, in week one were scrambles out of pass plays, but uh, let's say you did design more runs this week. Well, good thing you did because that was the, that was the, the way you won the game. I mean, you won the game because Kyler scored touchdowns with his legs and we're not hundred percent sure it would have been the other way. And the funny thing is, is, he should have had three touchdown runs and no touchdown passes because he, he scored on that first drive uh, that got called back on it. Maybe an iffy Dan Arnold holding call. And then DeAndre Hopkins ends up getting the wide open play. But I mean, that was also a beautiful run play that worked so well. So while I agree with you that defenses are going to have to account for this, I, I certainly would not subscribe to the idea that, the biggest reason to do it is to make sure that these teams know that's going on. I think the biggest reason right now is maybe you need it. Maybe you need it to spark this offense and the way they're defending you. Um, that's the one thing that you know is going to get you something. I mean, Kenyon Drake's been good the first couple of weeks. He hasn't been great. Um, so they're not running the ball quite as well as they were last year with Kenyon Drake. And, and certainly the passing game, uh, save for a bunch of Hopkins throws, just isn't there yet for whatever reason. Um, it, it, there's, there's been a lot of fits and starts, a uh, couple of deep passes, but certainly nothing you want. I mean, I would have thought through two games, there have been a more consistent connection with Christian Kirk at this point, which there has not been. Um, I thought Fitz did the job that he needs to do, which is essentially in a lot of ways acting somewhat like a tight end in this offense, the way he plays his game these days in terms of, the part of the field he works. Um, but, you know, again, you need the Kyler runs right now to win games, in my opinion. Now, Darren, I'm not going to share that with Larry, that you likened him to a tight end, okay? And, and, I'm, and I'm just kidding. I, I understand. Him be... Don't ask him about blocking either, okay? Don't don't call him the best blocking receiver in the NFL. He doesn't like it. You know that. First he of all, Larry just got through telling – first he told me, because I had a chance to talk to him a few days before his first interview – of the regular season. And then he told the whole group about how all he cares about is winning and catches and yards don't matter. And if you ask me to catch the ball, I will. And if you ask me to block, I will, because it's all about winning. So if he's going to put that out on paper, then True. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to hold him to it. 
That's right. Larry did say that the run game opens up the play action. And what does the play action do? It opens up the passing game and the chunk throws. So there you go. You're, you're right. It's undeniable, Darren. You're right. We're, we're holding Larry to it. Did you see against San Francisco, they kept him in on some of the plays to be like a, a, a pass blocker. He was like basically a tight end. He stayed in. He didn't run his route. He helped stop uh, the pass rush. So that's very tight end-ish type play. <laughs> it's funny. When they had the Cardinals Classics games, and they put those on, on, on Channel 12. And then I saw some of those. It was amazing to watch Larry have to block Cam Chancellor straight ahead, one-on-one. Amazing to watch Larry block Bruce Irvin one-on-one at times. I mean, there were some serious blocking assignments for a receiver that Larry was tasked with. Hey, if, if they want to start calling him a tight end, I mean, Dan Arnold is called a tight end. He's split out wide just as much as Larry. If they call him a tight end, he's got a better chance to make the Pro Bowl here at age <laughs> I, I will not be bringing that up to him, by the way. All right. Um, if you continue, though, down that path, I'm not sure whether it would be sustainable, which leads me into who was the guy who asked Cliff Kingsbury? Was you, Kyle, whether the running of Kyler Murray is sustainable? And then he used a double negative to say it is sustainable throughout the season, right? <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, I, I think clearly you see the way they drew it up, and you just watch Kyler Murray run in that situation when Chase Edmonds or Kenyon Drake is his lead blocker, and – I mean, you count up the numbers and it's basically there's a hat on a hat for 10 of the 11 guys on defense. And Kyler, if he gets one-on-one, he shows he can make that safety miss. So it's certainly a numbers advantage for the Cardinals. And we saw Lamar Jackson do it all of last season where he was consistently ripping off huge gains. And if they're willing to do the design runs, I think it's going to be super effective. I just wonder how much they want to do that sort of Baltimore type offense where Kyler Murray is a big part of that. And maybe Kyler Murray has proven to Cliff Kingsbury that, Hey, I know that I know exactly when to get down. I know exactly when to juke and to go for more yards because like we've talked about, he doesn't get hit hard. And I think if they do that, a lot. I think that really takes the offense to the next level. And I know we've had this debate on here a few times going back to last year about how much should Kyler Murray run. But I think this is the perfect scenario where you can use him a lot on design runs and still not risk him getting hit a bunch because he always knows when to slide. Can, can we, if, if we call Larry a tight end, could we call Chase Edmonds a fullback? <laughs> I mean, we'll just, let's just have some well, then, then we got then we got to con- consult with Wolf because he considers himself the stinking authority on fullbacks, and then I don't want to hear about the fullback club and who's in and who's out and for whatever reasons. Let's not go there, Darren. Okay. Good point. Solid yeah, point. I'd rather have the debate with Larry as to whether he's a tight end than bring <laughs> Wolf in on the fullback. By the way, speaking of that first touchdown run you mentioned, that wasn't a the sideline was hot on the Dan Arnold holding call, and I think when you see the wired come out with Cliff Kingsbury. Let's just say if they include it, it'll need a lot of bleeps, okay? There's going to be some editing needed because Cliff Kingsbury most definitely did not agree with that call. Uh, and as for the run itself, to your point, Kyle, man, was that something to behold. The only thing I can liken it to, because I was behind the bench in the front row off the field, socially distanced in the front row, but the Cardinal sideline was in front of me, and then I had Kyler's touchdown run and what he did to Landon Collins. It was akin to a posterizing dunk in the NBA, and the bench just goes bananas. And, you know, if I might actually give some free advice, Calvisi Consulting to Cardinals Broadcasting after they just won like another dozen Emmys, so why are they listening to me? But they really should get a camera on Kyler, and as soon as he crosses the goal line or he just clowns someone, just flash to the sideline and just get the reaction. Because a lot of guys these days, 
our defensive guys are not sitting on the bench and they're coming up to the white stripe just so they can take a look at Kyler. And players know players, and they want to watch what he does to opposing defensive players, Kyle, in the open field. That little skip to my Lou stutter, I'm a big Bulls fan when I was growing up and watching Scottie Pippen on fast breaks, he would do that all the time where he kind of lifted his legs and slowed down and he just threw off the rhythm of the guys in the fast break and he would always use that effectively and it, and Kyler Murray did the exact same thing where he, he did this crazy thing in the open field which I've only seen on a basketball court and if you're a defensive back, you're just, you stop your feet naturally, and that's when he just zoomed past. It was, it was amazing. I mean, what we've seen from Kyler Murray these first two weeks have been mind-boggling, and if he gets the passing game going more, I know we talked about it all offseason, is he legitimately going to be in this MVP race? But the combination that he has and that he's shown, it, it's not unrealistic at all to put him up there if he continues on this path. You know, you, you mentioned that play, Paul. Uh, first of all, you mentioned the Emmy-winning uh, broadcast team that we have here. Uh, Sean Deloney got a great shot of that particular Skip to My Lou play. If you go to his Twitter feed, at A-K-A-S-D, um, he's got like an eight-second clip in slow-mo of that play. And it is fascinating to watch. And it's caught all kinds of attention. Yahoo Sports retweeted it. And Sports Center and uh, Bleacher Report because everybody noticed the same exact thing and and it, it is amazing. I mean that play was great. The 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 breaking of the ankles on his 21 yard touchdown run where he cut through the middle of the field and kind of froze the defensive back inside the five yard line and just got that guy. I mean it was. I played a lot of basketball in my life and that was a ankle breaking moment even though it was on the football field and. Uh, that that blew me away too and again when you combine the fact that he knows how not to get hit with the fact that when he is in the open area he can do all these things I mean that what a dangerous combination I mean how do you I know we joked last week about how Ron Rivera talked about how Kyler Murray gave him anxiety but how does he not I mean you you want to get a hit on him and he knows not to get hit when you're around him and then when there's any kind of space you can't get a finger on him. I mean, that's just, that's just frightening. And that, that was the most aggressive I've ever seen him too. Like he, yeah. he wasn't looking to slide. He, you could tell he just feels a lot more comfortable this season because he was, he was ready to put his foot in the ground and cut and try to juke somebody. And he did so on both touchdowns where last year he might've been one-on-one -on -one and just played it safe. But now he's really putting his, his foot down and really going after the, uh, the defensive backs. Would it make sense that he told the Fox TV crew in their production meetings that he's quote, seeing the running clean, seeing the running lanes much more clearly now. Doesn't it look like that? Yeah. Doesn't it look like we all talk about, okay, the game slows down for a player eventually year two, year three, but I mean, it really looks like it's almost matrix like where he's waiting almost akin to a Le'Veon Bell waiting and waiting there it opens up and he's ready to go and I'm not going down yet because this might develop here and I'm anticipating that it has been a an almost staggering improvement from year one to year two just in terms of him picking and choosing and hitting the gas and slowing down and waiting for blocks to develop it has been something to behold no doubt well Cliff Kingsbury said after the game that last year for for Kyler running it was a feeling out process and then when Kyler talked to us after the game he basically he said all that same thing much more simply. And he just said, I'm more comfortable. And to me, that speaks to exactly what you're just saying, Paul. 
He's more comfortable knowing how fast the defenders are. He's more comfortable knowing how quickly he can get down. He's more comfortable knowing how he can get around. I mean, I, I do think – I agree with Kyle. I thought he was more aggressive this past week. I thought the first week, whether it was because they were playing the 49ers and, and they want to take shots at him or whatever it was, I thought he was very smart and careful about making sure he got down. I thought this week he took a few more hits in the open field. Not significant hits but certainly more than he had in San Francisco. And I, I think it's just, it was a comfort factor. It's, I think he weighs, okay, who am I going against? What might be happening? I mean, I don't want to go all conspiracy theory, but let's face it. If you're playing the Rams or the Seahawks and the 49ers, and you got some guys who have a history with you and who know that if they knock your ass out of the game, that that could change the, the destiny of whatever happens in the division you know, maybe they, they are looking, maybe they are head hunting a little bit more than maybe a random NFC East opponent in week two. Uh, you wonder if, if these are the things that he's contemplated as he, as he goes forward. Yeah. I mean, a, a backup defensive lineman for the Seahawks, all of a sudden, Hey, you know what, if I'm hit with a 15 yard late hit penalty on Kyler Murray, is he sliding? <laughs> so be it. Honestly, that that's how he could be a hero in the division. So that, that does concern me. I, I think that is legit to, to a certain degree. I just think as this offense evolves, and, and to answer my own question earlier, where is this all going? <laughs> Slowly but surely. It's not always just rhetorical, gentlemen. Come on now, all right? Should we be it, asking you questions, Paul? I feel bad now. Yeah, it may too. have taken me 11 solid minutes to get back in and answer my own question that I posed to you guys. <laughs> Redefining talking heads here on Cardinals Underground. <laughs> but if, if you're asking me where is this going, <laughs> with each improvement of this offense – they're forcing defenses to defend more and more the gridiron. Whether it's Christian Kirk, albeit we've only had a little bit, little bit of Christian Kirk, but you saw it. You saw it there on the 49-yard chunk throw. You saw the 54-yarder to Andy Isabella, where he actually had to slow down a little bit to catch it or else he gone. And so you see that, and as they stretch the field, whether it's deep with the burners, like Andy Isabella all of a sudden developing, all the way into the backfield where you got to worry about what Kyler's going to do. And that's our earlier analogy. And what guys said a year ago in the Cardinals' defensive meeting rooms that Cliff Kingsbury is trying to go all Golden State Warriors of the NFL, and he's going to make you defend every single inch of hardwood as we continue to talk more NBA than NFL somehow in this Cardinals underground. And I think the, the Warriors analogy is good because they do so many horizontal passes and, you know, you could call those the layups of the NFL where, you know, you, you just throw the ball to DeAndre Hopkins and you get your five or six yards and know it's an easy pass or Fitz or Kirk or whoever. And then they do a lot of the quote unquote three point shots where if you're going to give us this over the top, that's an efficient play because if it hits, you get that big chunk. And I think they just have to figure out the, the kind of in between too is the intermediate game, which I don't think they've completely clicked on yet. They they're doing a pretty good job short. They're doing a pretty good job long when it's there. But I think the consistent, you know, 10 to 20 yard range is is where it hasn't quite been ironed out yet. And if and when they get that going, it's going to be really a nightmare for defensive coordinators because then you have to worry about the complete scope of the passing game plus Kyler's legs. I mean, Darren, you, you didn't go with your Dominique Wilkins reference. I'm shocked. There's so many, so many entry points here to jump in with the NBA. Even Kyle went with uh, Scottie Pippen earlier. That's a good point. Yeah, I, I had mentioned Kyler Murray, the new uh, human highlight reel, human highlight film, or the old Dominique Wilkins uh, nickname. I, it's, it's, 
funny because you, you think of some of those intermediate throws and I don't know how intermediate it was. I'd have to go back and look at the tape, but like there was that pass um, that Kyler Murray just missed Chase Edmonds on in the end zone uh, where he probably shouldn't have missed it, but he was starting to run and it absolutely would have ended up speaking of highlight reels on the highlight reel because he ended up wrong footing it. And having, having, I think his left foot was down when he threw it. It was just, I know in the moment when I'm watching, I'm like, if, if that would have happened, that would have, I think that would have caught the attention kind of like, you know, some of those Patrick Mahomes sideway throws would have been because of the way he let it go. And I think that's ultimately why he missed Chase is because I think he was going to run, saw Edmonds at the last second, and then was throwing it without setting himself and just put too much on it. But the ability to, to hit some of those will be, a big deal. The, the interception he threw, that that was an intermediate pass that DeAndre Hopkins took the blame for saying that he ran the wrong route. I'll be honest, when I watch it, maybe he ran the wrong route, but I don't know why Kyler would have thrown it with all those uh, Washington defenders right there in the area. Even if he didn't see Landon Collins, there was a couple other guys. I'm like, well, what are you, what are you doing there? And those are the little things that, like, I, I agree, Paul, you got to get that stuff to the right place. But, um, again, it goes back to what we were saying. They're not doing a lot of things right, and yet they're putting up numbers. And I'm going to disagree with Kyle. I don't think it's just having the number of plays because the number of plays, you only get a bunch of plays is if you're gaining yards. So they're, they're gaining yards somewhere. They're not finishing necessarily, um, and they are getting more possessions. But it tells you – what. They are able to gain some yards at times, and their defense is getting them the ball back. I think that all plays into it. And then, of course, the penalties are an issue. We know that. They yeah. have 20 in two games, right? And, and honestly, if you watch the Monday night games, Saints had 10 or 11. Raiders had three. You could argue that was the difference in the game. Some really poor time penalties by New Orleans there. But getting back to the Cardinals and that interception, D-Hop's explanation was if we would have ran the correct route, the safety wouldn't have been there. Not sure I totally follow that. That's probably above my football IQ because when I watch it, I don't see what the difference is there. But if that is indeed accurate, I feel a lot better about that than Kyler with some random inaccuracy because I have no qualms or concerns about Kyler being an accurate quarterback. I truly think that's a byproduct of early in the season. Once he dials in, because what he's missed, he has recognized. He's made the right read. He's found the right receiver. He's missed him a couple times, yes, but that doesn't give me much concern because I don't in any way see Kyler as having accuracy issues. That actually makes me more bullish because he is making the right reads and deciphering what the defense is throwing at him. I, th I think it was a pretty accurate throw. Like if the safety wasn't there, I'd have to go back and look, but I think Isabella probably catches that ball. I thought it was pretty much online. And I'd have to go and see how the play developed, but it makes sense to where if – if DeAndre Hopkins doesn't run an in-breaking route, if he's doing something vertical or out, that safety is going to shade toward him, and you're, they're not worried as much about the crossing route. Whether Kyler Murray had that in his head or not, I don't know, but I, I understand that explanation because if, if the safety's more worried about Hopkins, which obviously makes sense, then I think that that play might have worked. When it comes to the other weapons, do you think the Cardinals have been remiss in not involving them more? Meaning, are they culpable for that? Is that a criticism? Is that going to be a natural evolution of this, Darren? Because 
I think if you could look at this offense, I'm wondering if defensive coordinators, as we put ourselves into the heads of guys scheming against the Cardinals defense, all right, we got to worry about Kyler and we have to worry about D-Hop. And we'll take our chances with everyone else. I think maybe that's the approach right now to the Cardinals. And I don't think if they, they proved yet, they can truly make that sort of defense pay. I, I don't know where this goes exactly. I mean, I, I, you've got to be thrilled with what DeAndre Hopkins has given you early on in the season in terms of production and, and when he gets his hands on the ball, a couple of his yards uh, after the catch plays have been pretty impressive. Um, you know, where all this goes, like the, the Andy Isabella play was a great example to me. I mean, you had mentioned he had to hold up. He did have to hold up. I mean, I, I think I, it would be good if, if you felt like Kyler Murray could get some more reps down the field with Andy Isabella because it, it's getting to the point – uh, because I feel like this happened at least once last year, too, in the limited times Isabella's been targeted that, you know, you just need to wing it earlier and and throw it as hard as you can because the dude's going to be able to run under it. That absolutely should have been a touchdown if Kyler Murray can throw it longer. And this isn't a, a rip on Kyler. I mean, it was a beautiful throw. But Andy Isabella did have to slow down, and it just shows you what it's a kind of like – Tyree Kill running under that key critical pass by Patrick Mahomes where Mahomes broke the pocket, winged it on the run. And I mean, the throw was amazing, but the amount of ground that Tyree Kill made up to make the catch and Andy Isabella is, is close to being that sort of burner. I, I agree with that. And I, I think you can, you can use that somewhere down the road when they have more comfort with each other. The bottom line is Kyler Murray does not have that chemistry with Andy Isabella because there hasn't been time enough for it to develop. But it gets, it gets you a real idea if you have Andy Isabella on the slot and he's so quick in short spaces, which I've seen in practice, that if you can get that game going, then, I mean, we talk about nightmares for a defense, the ability for him to scare a team that you could be quick uh, horizontally on whoever's covering you. And then maybe one time you take one step out and then just take off which is essentially what happened on that play. And now you, you've gone from worried about how fast he can get across horizontally, and now you're behind him vertically. I mean, that is something that I think is exactly why they wanted Andy Isabel in the first place. And the question is, can you fold that into what you're already doing? Can you get Christian Kirk the ball a little bit more? Dan Arnold hasn't gotten a ton of catches. He's gotten a few. Um, or, and even Kenyon Drake, uh, he, he ran the ball out late with a big lead, but I, I, it felt a little – disjointed with how they use Drake early in the Washington game, at least how I saw it. Look, the worst thing you can say about an offense is if they're predictable. That's exactly what a defense wants. And there's two games where the tendencies out there. Kyle, I put it to you. Are the Cardinals two top heavy? D hop and Kyler Murray top heavy in this offense. Not at all. Um, D hop's a fantastic player and he's going to get his numbers, but I think this skill player group is the most talented the Cardinals have had since 2015. I think you look at the depth of Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk and the speed of Andy Isabella, who's a better speed guy than JJ Nelson was. I just think they're a lot more well-rounded. Their running game is better. I, I, I think DeAndre Hopkins is going to have a great year, but if, if teams are intent on stopping him, I don't have any question that Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk and, and the running game can pick up the slack. You think, you think this running game is better already than the 2015 running game? Um, yeah, I mean, that, that running game wasn't great. I thought it was pretty good. That, the, I think their vertical passing game was awesome that year, but 
they haven't had a great running game for a long time. And I don't think this one is great. I, th- I think the skill players are the best since 2015. How was the, the fourth and one from your own 27 up 20 to nothing? How was that game in 2015? I'm, I'm trying to remember, Darren, because See, the, whole no, the whole no risk it, you know, no biscuit uh, has been redefined in a different way here under Cliff Kingsbury. Can I get a comment on the whole risk reward cost benefit ratio there? Here's, here's what I, I had a, I wanted to talk to the radio moment uh, when you, you guys were having this discussion on uh, 98.7 Arizona Sports Station. Uh, you and Wolf in particular, because at one point somebody said, don't know if it was you, don't know if it was Wolf. If it was bad, I'm blaming it on Doug. <laughs> somebody said the, the Washington wasn't going to win that game, so why would you take that risk? And I'm thinking, well, if they're not going to win that game, they're not coming back. So if they're not coming back, what does it matter if you take that risk or not? No, that, you know what? That wasn't me because I'm all in favor of putting that on film. If you're pretty darn sure that Washington's not winning that game, then you know what? Let it fly and put it out there for everyone to think about. I'm a huge, huge believer. Believe it, I, and I can be old school in many of my thoughts. And I do think that Kyle goes way too far the other. I, like, I believe in a certain amount of momentum. Let's say, put that. But I will say that I'm a big believer in uh, if you only need one yard and you think you're a good team, you should be able to get that one yard. I don't care how you do it. Uh, I don't know if I'm doing an end around necessarily. I, the funny thing is, if you watch, if you watch the, the play again, I'm almost wondering if they would have gotten a bigger gain had Strebler faked the pitch to Kirk and kept it and gone around right end. Um, I'd have to look at it again. But I, even though the defense kind of moved that way, I felt like, I felt like he, could, he was closer to the edge and could have gotten the edge quicker than it took the Washington defense to shift and get Kirk, who was further behind the line of scrimmage. But it's a moot point. I, I like being able to go for it. I like the idea that our defense is playing really well, and if we don't get it, they're only going to get three points anyway, so let's do this. I, I like that idea. I mean, there's, there's going for it, and then there's the play call itself. As you mentioned, there's a slower developing play, a play that's giving ground before it goes forward for positive yardage. You know, there are different play calls in that situation. Not only was it a gutsy call in terms of going for it, it was a gutsy play call off the laminated play sheet, Kyle. Yeah, but it was a, it was a triple option play, so it could have been fast developing if they handed it off. I, I loved it. The fact that you have three different options on this fourth and one where if the middle was open, all he does is hand it to Kenyon Drake or whoever that was, or like Darren said, he could have taken it himself, and it lined up to where they thought the, the pitch to the end around was the best choice. But I, I, I can't believe we're just not celebrating a fantastic play call on a fourth and one. And I, I mean, I, I understand your logic at your own 27 up 20. I completely understand why you wouldn't want to do that. And I don't have the analytical percentages in front of me, but I think this was very much about the numbers more so than if you, you, you didn't think you wouldn't do that because you thought you were going to win the game. Coaches don't think like that in the third quarter. He did it purely as, you know, a percentage play slash enjoying the schematical look at what it was, but I, I just feel like, They've crunched these numbers, and like Darren said, it's fourth and one. You're probably going to convert that 75% of the time. So knowing that factor, is it a good idea or is it a bad idea? And clearly they thought it was a good idea, but, uh, yeah, I wouldn't have blamed them if they punted. I can understand that logic too. And, and I would have understood if they punted. The, the other point that I did want to make, which is uh, also off of what you guys were talking about on the radio, which is uh, – 
and I believe Wolf did make this point, the, the drive went nowhere. Yeah, that's completely immaterial to the going on fourth down. It doesn't matter what happens after the play. So because that's making it sound like it had they gone and converted that and then gone down and scored a touchdown, it was a good idea. And since they had a punt, it was a bad idea. And the, what happens after the conversion is immaterial to call itself or the decision to go for it because you got the first down. Then, then we got to talk about how the offense was kind of not doing all that well, but I don't think what happened the rest of that drive should have any bearing on looking back and what you should have done in that situation. And you're right. The conversation evolved into that. And I think the gist of that was why uh, among the reasons, why would you do it in that situation? One was to try and create some momentum. Yeah. Things were a little dead at that point. And, you know, BYOE, bring your own energy. There's no fans in there. You had a big lead. Momentum. But (laughs) what? 20 to zero. What momentum do you need? (laughs) Don't you have the momentum if you're up 20 to zero? What is, what is momentum? (laughs) Momentum is human nature is focus is is intensity and it was waning at that point that would be my my car you're not you're you're not running that play to get momentum i sure hope not well that was i'm just saying i'm explaining that was part of the conversation somebody brought that up yeah and i I was the one who cited well the drive went nowhere in fact not only did it go nowhere but it resulted in cliff kingsbury doing something he rarely does and he called an entire offensive team meeting on the sideline on his weekly TV show game plan, I asked him about that. He said, yeah, I really do try and pick my spots. I don't want to be the meeting guy on the sideline. But at that point, I thought it was pretty important for me to say that we were the only ones beating ourselves at that point. And, and that was unacceptable in my mind because we need to clean up so many different aspects of things. And there was some sloppy execution. There were penalties, other factors for that drive. But, you know, when you hit zoom out on that call, I, I asked myself, Kyle, and I'll put it to you. Do you make that call because, A, you believe in your offense? Do you make that call because, B, you trust your defense and they're pitching a shutout? Do you make that call because, C, the analytics say go for it? Do you make that call because, D, you have the Strebler mandatory leveler package in? I'm just trying to understand the thought process and the decision that was made in in that situation. And I kind of sense it's E, all the above. Yeah, for sure. I think it's completely all of the above where you, you look at all these different factors and see, I go back to the, the Saints game last year when they were on the road and they did about the same thing, a fourth and one from their 30-ish. That one made a lot more sense to me. I, I understood the logic of that one more where you're a big underdog, you're trying to control the ball, maybe steal a, a win on the road. This one, I'm, I'm fine with it because I'm generally fine with going for it on fourth and one, but I saw more of the downside of that decision. But clearly, yeah, there's a lot of different things he likes. I think having Strebler and having that package is a big deal. And I think clearly Cliff Kingsbury since week four of, of last season, he's been very aggressive on fourth downs and more so than that fourth and one, because I think either way would have been fine. The fourth and five is the one where I think, That's the important one. Fourth and five on the opposing 37. He doesn't blink and he goes for it and gets a first down. That's the area where I think it's so critical to go for it instead of punting, where we've seen for so long that teams always punted around the 35 to the 40 when you don't gain very many yards. You get 20 to 30 yards of field position. So those types of decisions, I think, are more impactful, more so than that fourth and one, which to me felt like a coin flip. You know, and and then there's also your O-line is playing well, obviously. Uh, they've, they've been executing. And then to get back to the defense, Darren, how about the third down defense? When the defense is needed to be good, they have been good. They have been effective. 
Did I hear right that they're the number one third down defense in the NFL right now? Right now, based on, you know, third down conversions, they're, they're tops. And when I saw that on Monday, I was uh, surprised. I knew they had done well against San Francisco. I knew they had done well against Washington. Didn't realize they were better than everybody else. And obviously, we'll see where this goes. They're going to be playing some teams that ha- have a chance to uh, wreck that stat a little bit. And like we said earlier, you know, this defense doesn't have to be the 2000 Ravens. It just has to be good. Or, or fairly good, um, I, I think, if the offense does what it needs to be. And, and right now, they're making the plays that they need to make. And, and like that fourth down play, I, I do think the fact your defense has been playing really well at that point means something uh, as opposed to another situation. So, you know, I, I think they're getting pressure, uh, not all the time, but some of the time. I mean, Chandler Jones didn't get a sack against Washington, but he had four QB hits. He was really close a couple of times. Uh, he's, it was his stunt that helped Corey Peters get his sack. I mean, I, I think they're finding different ways to make it work. Would you have liked to see them finish better? Yes. But as Cliff uh, Kingsbury acknowledged after the game, and as we all really saw, you could tell they softened up the pass defense in the fourth quarter, keeping everybody in front of them. It, it, gets, it, it got a little frustrating. I understand why you do it. I don't know if I I love doing it with 12 minutes to go in a game, uh, which is kind of what was happening, but you could see that that's what they were doing. And and I'm not even a super expert when it comes to that kind of stuff. So um, I think they're going in the right direction. They'll be tested with this pass offense, like Kyle said earlier, uh, with the Lions, I think. Um, And it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Um, But again, when you start looking at the schedule, the Lions offense can be good. I don't know if it's great. Uh, the Panthers are really struggling, and now Christian Caffrey is not going to play when they play the Cardinals, and he's all their offense, it seems, most of the time. And the Jets are, quite frankly, a disaster offensively right now. So this defense has got a chance to get off to a really nice start through five games the way we're looking at it before that uh, point-scoring juggernaut, the Cowboys, uh, are on the schedule, and that will be a major test. But that's for a podcast a month from now or whenever we do that. I'd love to know the numbers. I, I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm violating my rule, Kyle. No math. <laughs> I'd love to know the analytics. On and the P- podcast right there. And I, somebody's going to pull that as a highlight. The Pat P on Terry McCorin, uh before they softened up the pass defense and sort of went more towards a prefent sort of philosophy midway through the third quarter or early fourth quarter, whenever it was. I'd love to – because – for the most part, Pat P was traveling with McLaurin and did bottle him up, to my recollection, without going through the game film and knowing the analytics and how they broke down the matchup. Yeah, I think that's uh, would be nice to see. And the concerning thing was on the, the touchdown, it seemed like McLaurin got away from him and maybe Buda Baker pretty easily. And McLaurin's a good player and he's fast, so you got to give him that. Um, but you just – how much was that, you know, staying into the game and attention and how much was that, you know, a concern from a speed standpoint? Because if there's any speed standpoint concern, then, you know, that becomes a, a bigger issue moving forward. If it was just kind of an isolated end of game, we're just wrapping this up, going through the motions a little bit, then it's not as much of a concern. And you go against a, a good Detroit team with some wideouts, and I think we'll we'll find out soon, like, what how Patrick Peterson and Drake Kirkpatrick and, and Byron Murphy do against a good passing offense. 
Yeah, Kenny Galladay is expected to play. He missed the first two games with a hamstring. He did lead the NFL in touchdown receptions a year ago. So there's a marquee matchup. There's no doubt about that. But there's also no doubt, Kyle, to go right back to you, nobody's playing better on defense than Devondre Campbell, are they? Yeah. No, he's he, he did a really nice job against Logan Thomas and the tight ends. And he, he's – He's an interesting guy because he's big, but he can really uh, stick with some tight ends and his coverage grade was was very good in that game. So having that piece was very much missing last season. And Devondre Campbell, it's funny, just having one guy kind of ironing out that position has really let a lot of other things fall into place. And I think we'd be remiss not to mention Hassan Reddick too, doing a nice job at outside linebacker where he's more comfortable instead of being inside where he was last season, trying to hang with those tight ends where he just, he didn't get it mentally fast enough. Campbell is not the athletic specimen that Hassan Reddick is, but he just understands better in coverage and where guys are going to go against him. So it's, it's been a nice little combo there. And, and Reddick has really held up nice against the run too, which was the big question being undersized. So I think a lot to like about that front seven. You know, it was early in camp and of course us media guys, well, yours truly in particular might've been raving a little too much about the measurables and Isaiah Simmons. And one of the defensive coaches said, um, Paulie Pencilneck, have you seen Isaiah Simmons standing next to Devondre Campbell? Meaning they're pretty much the same body type and, and the two of them, you know, getting off the bus are pretty dang impressive. And just the skill set, Darren, of Campbell and his coverage skills. For example, TJ Hawkinson, we all remember a year ago in that opener, six grabs a buck 31. He had a touchdown. He had a 39-yard grab. It's just a totally different world when you can start your game plan, dare I say, not by necessarily putting Pat P on Kenny Galladay, but by putting Devondre Campbell on the other team's standout tight end because it's amazing how little, how seldom we've called the tight end's name of the opponent the first couple of games. It's it's funny when you bring up Campbell and Simmons and their body types because the the panic through two games from some in the fan base over Isaiah Simmons and, and what they should do with him uh, and all these people, well, maybe inside linebacker isn't where he should be. Maybe he should be at safety. And I'm like, would you take Devondre Campbell, who is – uh, like half an inch or an inch shorter than Isaiah Simmons, and they are probably within five pounds of each other. Would you put Devondre Campbell at safety? I don't think anybody would think twice. They'd be like, no, you can't put Devondre Campbell at safety, or you wouldn't. Why would you do it with Isaiah Simmons? I just – I feel like – I feel like when Cliff Kingsbury and Vance Joseph talk about how having Devondre Campbell allows them – to bring Isaiah Simmons along in a pace that would work for him best on the NFL level, considering he didn't have an offseason, considering he didn't have a preseason, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think it goes beyond just a timeline. I think, I think if they had to draw up and show Isaiah Simmons every week on film, this is what we'd like you to be, and they can show Devondre Campbell, his own teammate, you know, you can be Devondre Campbell plus potentially with your athletic ability. I think that's exactly what they're talking about. And, you know, I don't know what Isaiah Simmons is going to become. And I hope the inside linebacker thing ultimately works out for him. I, I still am optimistic about that. Um, but if, if all he was, was Devondre Campbell, you're still going to have a pretty good NFL player on your hands. Darren, you need to, let the fans know you're going to you're going to wrap up the mailbag and just take your mailbag home at this point. You're telling me 
that two games into a young man's career without a preseason, without an offseason, 40 snaps basically into his NFL career. 25. They want a position, they want a position change already? I, I, got, I got a mail. I got a question after game one saying, what are they doing? He's a safety. They need to move him to safety. This is a bust. This is terrible. He's had 25 snaps in two games. And, and again, I understand he's got had 25 snaps in part because he, it's slow go for him. I get it. Uh, and I, I look, there's no question there is PTSD in this fan base after Hassan Reddick. I think we can all agree on that. And that's, that's, that's what ultimately is. Maybe not with Kyle. Kyle's been wondering about the Simmons thing for a while. We'll let him have his say. But there's absolutely a group of fans that, like, see Hassan Reddick and how it didn't work, and now it's really working at outside linebacker and how, for whatever reason, the organization can't see this. And, and this is going to be the same thing with Isaiah Simmons. And I, I really put a lot towards what he was not able to get in the offseason I just think that's just a massive – I mean, you you figure through two preseason games, Isaiah Simmons probably would have played – even if he didn't play a lot, you would say he probably would have had 50 preseason snaps through two preseason games maybe, 40 or 50 snaps in the first two preseason games in a normal year. And he's only had 25 snaps, and these are games that count. I mean, and then he would have had at least one more game where he did stuff. I just – I just feel like it's way too early to make any judgments on where he is. But, Darren, he could add a 1,000 snaps in the preseason. For the most part, it would have been 99% vanilla offense, right? But yeah, to me, that's also true. Yeah. To me, the fact they started with the Niners and Kyle Shanahan and all the misdirection and the eye candy and the motions and the shifts, I mean, there's only – the only other assignment would have been more difficult for a young linebacker and his eyes would have been Sean McVay. Other than that, that offense is so difficult to go against, and then – as a result, they targeted him a couple times, and they were successful because that's the way it works in the NFL. They're going to find those matchups. It worked for the Niners early. His snaps were reduced in game one. We saw what happened in game two. It's going to be a process. Kyle, what says you? Yeah, and Sean McVay doesn't have George Kittle and, and Raheem Mostert, too. I mean, two very dynamic players he was trying to cover. So certainly the, the jury is still out, but I, I do think – talking about Devondre Campbell and him being able to cover, it it is kind of an outlier because a lot of linebackers aren't as big as Devondre Campbell and he does a nice job. And clearly that's the thinking with Isaiah Simmons too, is he's such a unicorn, such an athletic guy for how big he is that he's going to be this, you know, exception to the rule in coverage. And that's clearly the hope. And that's why they took him at number eight, but we have to make sure that it happens first. I mean, he played slot corner in college and, and, going against wider he's going against running backs and tight ends right now and having a little bit of problems so you know you're not going to graduate to wide receivers until you master that so it's it's clear that Isaiah Simmons has to show that he can cover consistently in the NFL and I think that it's interesting now like how does he get on the field consistently to me it feels like the debate is whether Isaiah Simmons is going to play on defense or Drake Kirkpatrick more so than Devondre Campbell or Jordan Hicks, because you can play Byron Murphy on the outside and then play a four, three base defense, basically where Campbell is or, or Simmons is next to Campbell and Hicks. I think that's the most logical way for him to get on the field because like Darren said, Jalen Thompson got hurt. And if, if the Cardinals felt like Isaiah Simmons made sense to slide in at safety, he'd be playing safety right now in the box and Buda Baker would be playing free, but they didn't do that. So I think in order to play Isaiah Simmons is going to have to prove he's more valuable on the field than Drake Kirkpatrick at outside cornerback and Byron Murphy in the slot. 
we even saw at the beginning of that Niners game quite a bit, two down linemen, and then the five linebackers, two outside linebackers and the three inside linebackers. We saw a lot of Wolf was raving about that and all in an attempt to get your most athleticism out on the field. So we'll, we'll see how that evolves. There's no question. And there's no question that, look, he did play more snaps at other positions than inside linebacker in college, especially his last year at Clemson. So with that as part of it, it'll be a process. The question is, does it all matter when you look at the upcoming schedule? A Lions team that has lost 11 in a row going back to last year. A Panthers team that has lost its last 10 games and now lost Christian McCaffrey for the next four to six weeks with a high ankle sprain. And then as Darren mentioned, the Jets are the outlier on the NFL map. So what? it is real hard. And you're already seeing the national media doing it. Putting the 5-0 and Cardinals going into Monday night football in Big D against Dallas as I get two guys shaking their heads, Darren. There's that crown again, isn't it, Paul? <laughs> uh, I, you know, again, the, the week – I'll be honest, I did not realize the Lions had lost that many games in a row. I mean, obviously, last year is last year and this year is this year, and they should not have lost to the Bears in week one. They shouldn't have blown the lead they had, and they still should have won that game at the end if Swift doesn't drop the touchdown catch. So um, they're this close to having at least one win. Um, and so, look, for all the times that the Cardinals have played the Lions and it doesn't matter who's who and who's lining up on the other side, it feels like these games always end up close. It doesn't seem like it's a super blowout most of the time. I guess the one time in Detroit in 2015 before the Greenbrier was pretty much a rollover for the Cardinals. But most of the time, it seems fairly close. I do know Galladay's had some good games against this franchise. So, if you can get through this one and you got a home game and, you know, for what that's worth right now, at least you're not traveling uh, and being able to get off to a three and start before you're playing, you know, a Panthers team with missing their best player and with a first year head coach and the jets that are the jets. I mean, this is to me the big hurdle over these next three games. Not that those other games won't be, um, but I really like how Cliff Kingsbury has handled this. Um, both publicly and some of the things that I've heard behind the scenes, I do not think this is a team that's ever going to get over its skis in terms of uh, getting overconfident. I don't think he's the kind of guy that would do that. I, I think Bruce Arians is a good coach. I think he was great for the time he was here. I loved having him around. I think he was the kind of coach that sometimes could let that get out a little bit in front. I don't think Cliff is going to be that guy. I think, I think that one year or two years in the Bill Belichick system, I think rubbed off on him. I think he's the son of an old school football coach. I think he's the kind of guy that is absolutely going to be one week at a time. It might be the, to the detriment of us sometimes in terms of interesting storylines and interesting quotes, but uh, I do think they have a chance to get off to a good start, not only because of the schedule, but because of the way he's going to treat them. Didn't he say the end of last week that what he learned from Belichick was that after wins, he was even harder, more critical on his team. That's how he kept them grounded in a lot of ways. So you probably don't want to go ahead and tell the Cardinals locker room that the Lions last win was October 27th, <laughs> that they finished last year by losing nine straight. Yet Matt Patricia and the GM Bob Quinn, both from New England, kept their job. They're on double secret probation this year as the team is expected to contend for the playoffs, except they have quite the dubious 
record right now. They're the first team ever to blow double-digit leads to lose four consecutive games. Yeah, That's not even counting, Kyle, the season opener last year when they were up 24-6 to in the fourth quarter and a rookie named Kyler Murray in his first game rallied the Cardinals all the way back for an overtime tie. Yeah, but, but it says something when you can get up by double digits. I mean, a, a poor team – like maybe last week when the Washington's down 20 to zero at the half and they didn't have a chance. That's why any team that is competitive and then loses late, I give them a lot more credence than somebody who gets beaten wire to wire. And we'll see how the lions end up. Clearly the stats don't look good right now. Their defense has a lot of issues, but I do agree with Darren. And like we were saying earlier, you know, they have a quality offense and anytime you have that in the NFL, I think you have a shot and just looking at, I mean, Last week, I talked about this fast start and, you know, people jumped all over me about it on Twitter, but I feel like clearly this is lining up where the Cardinals can get off to a good start. But I think you look at it statistically, they are going to be favored in these next three games, but the most likely outcome is still two and one more so than three and oh, just because you look at the percentages of winning three games in a row, not easy to do so. I think four and one is more likely, even though they'll be favored in every single game. And if they can get to five and zero, oh, that's a pretty impressive accomplishment. Um, this game is tough. And then you're on the road for two in a row and we don't have the fans out there and that's a little bit different, but you're still flying cross country. You're playing in the NFL where teams have some good talent, even if they're not as good as you. So, you know, a pick six or a fumble or something like that can change a game. So I think, the, the, the schedule is, is soft right now, and it's lining up well for the Cardinals, but you can't just plunk down 5-0 and any time in the NFL. It's, it's not easy to win those games. So with D-Hop serving as the campaign manager for Kyler Murray here in an election year, you're telling me that the following strategy, election strategy, to get Kyler the MVP, you go ahead, you pile it up against the Lions, you jack stomp them, then you repeat that at Carolina in the Eastern time zone, then you go into the big stage of the Big Apple, all the East Coast bias guys, you put it out there for everyone to see the future of football, TikTok, and then that sets up Monday Night Football in Big D going back home to Texas and Dallas. <laughs> Can't you just see this juggernaut gaining steam down the tracks, Darren? I mean, you can just see where this possibly is going, and you could see where it could get derailed if the team isn't focused and they come out and play poorly. And they have, if they start the first half against the Lions the way they ended, the second half against Washington, then yeah, they, they could have some issues and find themselves behind on the scoreboard. Look, you, you got to play good football. And this comes back to where we were at the beginning of this, which is they may be averaging 27 points a game. They may be getting 400 yards a game, but they're not playing great offensively at this point, uh, consistent great. And, and that they're going to have to find that. And obviously Matt Patricia is a, a defensive minded coach. I'm sure um, he's somebody that's thought very long and hard about Kyler Murray and he's seen Kyler Murray. Now he saw embryonic Kyler Murray in his very first game. And uh, it's a much different offense and it's a much different Kyler Murray. Uh, and he doesn't have Devon Carnard anymore to go sack Kyler over and over. So we'll, we'll see how all that plays out. But it, I, I am curious to, it's a, it's a good measuring stick this weekend uh, not only where they might go over the next few weeks, but also where they went from the first game of Cliff and Kyler to where they are now. Here, here's my free advice. Paulie Patricia usually has one writing instrument. He might want it for Kyler Murray, get two, you know, for the dual threat, might get one for the arm, you know, come for the arm, stay for the legs. That would be my free advice. 
the other thing I'll just say is, you know, hey, come on now, Red Sea, get off Darren in the mailbag and stop it against Kyler on Twitter. I mean, my goodness, you know, I mean, the, Card- the Cardinals are 2-0. and Let- Let's stop with any sort of vitriol or blowback right now. <laughs> just enjoy it. That's right. That's right. There you go. <laughs> and that'll, that'll do it here on Cardinals Underground. <laughs>